from Immersive Labs, this is Cyber Humanity. Hello again all, I'm your host Chris Pace. Cyber Humanity is the podcast taking cyber security personally, trying to get inside the heads of hackers as well as putting our feet in the shoes of defenders. These podcasts essentially come in two flavors, either us ranting about themes close to the hearts of security types or us chatting about threat and security stuff from recent weeks. This episode's a kind of a mixture of those two in that we're going to focus on a theme because we're going to talk a little about bug bounties in a moment. I'm joined for this week by my crew of the Starship Cyber, Kev Breen, Paul Bentham and Sean Wright. Hello. Hello. Hey Chris, 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 before you get started, I've, uh. got sense of deja, <laughs> I've got a sense of deja vu. I feel like we've done this before already. It is almost like we've done this before, isn't it? I wonder what would make you, I wonder what it is that would make you think that. Because we did five minutes of the podcast without pressing the record button. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking, yeah. I mean, it's a good job Paul said nothing interesting in that five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Not Paul didn't say anything. Paul just didn't say anything interesting. I'm going to go strike. So there's been a lot of talk this week about a major flaw in Slack that did get fixed, but security industry press coverage put quite a bit of focus on the lack of recompense for the researcher who discovered it. So uh, I guess what I'm hoping that we're going to talk about for the the next 10 minutes or so is what do good bug bounty programs look like um and and i suppose in this case does the fact that slack aren't paying that well mean that they have a bad bug bounty program why are people so up in arms about the fact they paid so little this specific bug that was found is a pretty severe flaw um it allowed uh, remote code execution on the host that was running Slack. So it could be leveraged to uh, do things like install malware or ransomware and that. So it's 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 pretty severe. Um, and bug bounties are typically paid out on based on severity and impact. The higher the impact, mo- mostly around the impact, the higher the impact, um, the higher the payout. And in this case, the payout was pretty meager and also, you've got to consider this isn't a company like a small startup or something. This is a well-funded company. So it's not like they don't have the funds for it. Um, and having a low payout means you're going to have trouble attracting talent to your bug bounty program. Um, when you're trying to get bug bounty hunters, you want to try obviously attack, attract the best in, in the market. Um, and they're going to gravitate towards the programs that have a bigger payout. Yeah, I mean, because we, we talked, um, gosh, it was a little while ago, about the Apple, the flaw in the Apple, I forget even what it was, like the Apple Store login or something like O-Auth, that. Wasn't it? And I seem to remember it, yeah, oh, it was it O-Auth or something Sign like that. And I Apple. seem to remember it was a yeah, whopping exactly. amount of money that the guy got paid yep. for what I'm assuming was something fairly trivial. Yeah, I mean, that one... I think most security researchers would have been able to find the flaw and be able to execute it. It, it was taking a token, decompiling a token, a well-known format, which is JWT, it's an industry standard, decompiling that, change the email address, and you could sign, sign in with someone else. That is a pretty major and significant flaw. And I think the payout for that was $100,000. You compare that to Slack, yeah, it's not as severe, but... The Slack payout was $2,000. It's like both ends of the spectrum type thing. What would you expect to get for an RCE? 
It depends on the system that. So if you probably get on the server, you, I would expect around like 10k or something. Um, maybe local system, uh, individual systems, maybe about 5k or something like that. That's just guesstimates. I don't know what the going rate is for typical things, but I know 2000 it was just under $2,000 that they got. It's pretty low. Especially considering the amount of work that the, the bug bounty hunters put into this. Like, it's not, it was, he chained a number of steps together. Uh, and that's exactly what you want. You want to, the, the whole point of a bug bounty is to find those things that are so complex, so convoluted that a pen test wouldn't even think of looking for them. That's where your bug hunters specialize, like finding those niche business logic flaws. Uh, so, the amount of work they have to put in, which for what is for most of these, their primary income. Uh, that kind of low return for the amount of work puts them off coming to your program. And these programs serve a very valid need. Um, so um, it's not just about them paying the bug county uh, a low amount. Like Sean said, it's about making sure that you're bringing these people to you so they don't just stop coming and testing. So let's tr let's try and have a think about creative ways that maybe you could approach rewarding those discoveries that wasn't just like it sounds to me like what you're saying is companies have a sliding scale of severity and they decide therefore what you pay for a particular bug which i guess is i mean like if you have to pick a way to do it i guess that's a way of doing it um we've already talked then about the amount of work that was required for this one explicitly and the amount of little work that was required for the apple one explicitly um should should there maybe be some consideration as to the amount of the amount of effort expelled in you know in uncovering a, a bug particularly if it's of a high priority should that get some kind of weighting like isn't there a it, there must be a better way i think that matches what sean said about impact um like it's the impact that drives how vulnerable these things are if there's a thousand and one steps the impact is lower because a normal attacker is very unlikely to find that if it's three steps then the severity is going to be higher because it's easier for an attacker to replicate that attack so that's going to play some part to it yeah cvss does does rating where it rates by what it calls exploitability so that is like the, the how exploitable is that actual vulnerability um it doesn't do a good job of taking into account whether things are actively being exploited but that's not really related to this um so assuming that that same kind of model is applied it feels to me like you should be getting paid more like the higher the number is the more you should be getting paid and also i reckon there's something in here about the window as well the window if the window that, that vulnerability is open is smaller I think you should get paid more. Like basically, if it gets fixed really quickly, that suggests that it might be a big problem. You say that, but there are some bug bounty programs that don't even pay out. Oh, really, Kev? Um, we already know where this is going. <laughs> I, I've ranted this rant many a time before, uh, and I will continue to do so until they fix it. Uh, F5. <laughs> um, you, guys, have you heard of F5? <laughs> this is a company that you're aware of. I don't think we've covered this before at all. <laughs> uh, so back in July of 2020, uh, I disclosed a vulnerability to F5. Uh, they scored this as a 7.5 on the CVSS score. So that's high, not critical, but high. Um and I can't go into any of the details because I'm still under embargo. And the reason I'm still under embargo is because despite disclosing it in July, they're not going to release any patches until October. Maybe. 
that's when they've planned to release. Uh, and Kev, uh, what was the uh, what was the bounty that you that you got for this? Thank you. I was asking a question. You're welcome. But what did you get? I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a public thank you. Oh, I see. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm gonna get a public thank you uh, on the back of a security notice buried somewhere in there. Uh, change me, I would imagine. On the back of a check with a lot of zeros on. Hey, at least you got a thank you. Not even a not even a t-shirt, Kev. Not even a t-shirt. I, I'd be happy with swag. I love I love a good t-shirt. A mug, an F five mug, because that's what you look like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least in the other one, you got some free chicken. Uh, Nando's, yeah. So uh, I found uh, very, in fact, it was the same kind of attack vector in Nando's. Um, and they sent me a free chicken voucher. Uh, WAF Bypass, they sent me some some Amazon vouchers. Like, it doesn't have to be a lot. It's just any kind of reward is nice. Um, a thank you is a bit like a F you. It's more than I've ever got. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been finding vulnerability, Sean, and not getting anything more than a big thank you? Uh, I don't even get a thank you. <laughs> Did you get a go away? We're not interested in your in your vulnerability. I just got the silence treatment. The one vulnerability I found was in Logitech, and no response or anything but miraculously it was fixed amazing <laughs> <laughs> they're the best kind they're the magic ones but you hear this all the time i mean this is so this is where like twitter has become the refuge of bug hunters who want to know why companies aren't responding to them it's my personal favorite is people tweeting out does anyone know anybody at insert name of company because i really really feel that i should talk to their security person quite quite urgently uh, because they're not responding to any of my emails or dms thank you bye so that's exactly what I had to do with Nando's. Uh, in the end, I had to go into uh, LinkedIn to find the group CISO's email address or his message to message him on LinkedIn Ooh. to get me in touch with their security team. Social engineering. Social engineering. <laughs> well, it's because you were getting a load of like, if your call is very important to us, please click one if your chicken's too warm. Please click two if your chicken's too cold. There's no button for please click now if your chicken is vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> it raises an interesting point which is what uh, like a lot of the social media stuff uh, kind of hooked into uh, the companies aren't paying out either at all or very low amounts yet there are bug bounty programs on the other side like Zerodium um, who are willing to buy vulnerabilities um, there are we know there are criminal enterprises who will happily pay you like six figures for exactly this kind of exploit uh, so if this bug bounty had more questionable morals, he could have made himself significantly more money just by not responsibly disclosing uh, and going straight to the attacker and going, here, buy my... Now, there, to me, is the real nub of the issue because I think... Well, we don't need to talk about the skills shortage. We're all already aware. So we're trying to create an industry that is attractive to a certain kind of individual. I think bug hunting is great because it allows individuals to work in their own way in a self-starting, you know, way and to solve problems and, you know, to ha you know, the kind of stuff that is fun for those kind of people. But what we're basically saying is the recompense that you'll get for doing it on the good side of the fence is unsurprisingly nowhere near the recompense that you can get for doing it on the uh, on the bad side of the fence. And that's a problem. They, they say being bad doesn't pay. It does. It pays better than being good. I think it also depends on the company. Take Apple, for example. 100K is a lot of money. I don't know if a criminal would have paid you more. <laughs> probably, maybe. But I think it's also 
Um, depends on the company. I'll also add that these really poor payouts also reflect on the company as to we take your security seriously. Yeah, when you're paying 2K for a really severe vulnerability, I think otherwise. I'm going to say that I actually quite like Slack. I mean, we're big users of Slack here at Immersive, and I've been, you know, I think they've developed the product quite well. But one of the things that I actually think is a bit bad of Slack is that the security element in their pricing tier, it's a top tier uh, level that you have to get to before you get single sign on. So, I know not this again. We've talked. I know we've talked about it before. But having to pay for security. But isn't this isn't this indicative? You know, Slack mm. haven't had a Zoom kind yeah. of moment. But isn't this indicative of how a company takes its security culture? If a they're paying seventeen hundred and fifty dollars for an RCE, uh, seven point five on the CBSS scale, and b they're charging you more for security. It just doesn't feel right, and it probably speaks to a culture of security in the company. And when I think about how much sense of company information uh, gets put into Slack on a day-to-day basis, it makes me worried. Let's think about this from the other way around then. So let's imagine a situation where the researcher does not responsibly disclose. The researcher finds the vulnerability um, and instead decides that they will, and this reminds me of the Zoom is malware. Do you remember that when we all had to start working from home and, hmm. and it was sudden, like people, the vulnerabilities were found in Zoom and suddenly it was like, ah, oh, Zoom is the worst thing ever. So imagine if instead of this responsible disclosure and instead of the researcher being, you know, fairly quiet and considered about it, they had some PR behind them. How would that make Slack look? And maybe Slack would have a different view about spending the money um, if that was the case. So back in a way, we, maybe we should stop encouraging responsible disclosure and start saying the more noise you make about this stuff, maybe the more seriously these companies will take it. The one thing I will say, so I'm looking at um, Slack's Hacker One page now. So their rewards, the scale. So low is $100, medium $500, high is 1000 critical is 1500 Now they have paid out $644,000 in bounties. Whoa! Uh, in the that's a lot night, of at that price point. That's a lot point, of criticals. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, in the the average bounty is five hundred. The top bounty range is a thousand to ten k. Uh, Forty two and a half thousand paid out in the last ninety days. So they are at heart, like this program has earned people over half a million US. So whilst the individual scale might be small, uh, they have sunk a lot of money into this program, which. For those small payouts is also slightly worrying that's a yeah. lot of uh, 1000 reports resolved so 1000 bugs uh, reported for a total of 644,000. i do think it is it is worth pointing out though that the uh larkin rider actual name uh, chief security officer at slack has apologized to this person um oh you know what he apologized for not crediting, not crediting. Oh, right. Well, they weren't apologizing for the $1,750. They were just apologizing for... They didn't even give them credit! <laughs> oh, my God, Slack. Just coming back to the point about public shaming. Uh, and Sean, think I think you've branded more... my idea somewhat harshly. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean... I was talking more about what we might call transparent disclosure. No, not, 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 not public shaming. You, you put words in my mouth. They're much stronger words. Yeah, okay. Um, on the social media... Um, I had a, uh, a situation with a bank, a non-bank, uh, and the long and short was you hit their site where there was a login page, 
if you even went to it over HTTPS, redirected you to HTTP. Now, this is a problem when it's got the big login link because anyone could man in the middle and redirect you to a nice malicious domain. A year later, it went viral on Twitter with Troy Hunt. And guess what? About two, three weeks later, it was fixed. This, so basically, you've validated my whole scheme. Like this is the way transparent disclosure is the new um, is the new thing I'm going to push. We've had res- we've tried responsible disclosure. It hasn't worked. Let's all move on. The way to do it is to shame software companies into <laughs> fixing their bugs. And it means it's a great podcast. So I mean, win win all out. Keep us going for responsible disclosure. Is boring because we can't do anything yeah. about it. Um, the thing about this whole uh, story with Slack that really does get my goat is that Slack is a company that's all about soft and huggy and they're a community and we're all in it together and we look after each other and we don't pay properly for <laughs> I completely understand this kind of behaviour if it was a, like a dreadful piece of software built by evil empires like Webex. <laughs> <laughs> You're confusing WebEx with software. Uh, sorry, like <laughs> malware. So, but warm and fluffy Slack, they should be kind and nice to all the vulnerable uh, vulnerability disclosures. But here's another point on that. So talking about um, public, sh- public shaming slash transparent disclosure, um, it, I think in this situation, if you imagined all of the people who use Slack being made aware of the potential impact of that vulnerability and then also being aware of how Slack responded rather than it being in the kind of tight industry channel, you know, in the sort of InfoSec Twitter bubble and in only in InfoSec press, I think that would change things as well. So if mainstream news reported on things like major vulnerabilities in tools that people are now using you know, heavily every single day, I think the, the whole attitude to all this stuff would be totally different. It's just going to be careful, otherwise you end up with stories like Zoom as malware. But, you know, what, what, was the ultimate, um, what was the ultimate outcome of the Zoom is malware headline? Still uses Zoom when they got better, better security, better security included for free, better encryption. They ended up buying an encryption company. I mean, now Zoom really can say we take your security seriously because they actually do. Unlike the rest of them who just seem to say that. They went out to the InfoSec community. Uh, they went out to leaders in the field and said like, we want you to to come in. Uh, we want you to tell us like what we're doing wrong. We want you to help us. Like they went out to the people who know this thing the best and said like, like all right, we admit we weren't doing things possibly as well as we could have. Like help us do it better. So yeah, like you said, Complete kudos to that. That explains why F5 are so bad. It's because they're already in security. So they already know all this stuff. They didn't need to go and ask anyone. They're already experts, Kev. They didn't need your <laughs> they didn't need your help. They would have found that vulnerability on their own eventually. Well, the, they say they, they follow all best practices and they're doing automated scanning and bug bounties and all this stuff. But uh, it's just it still gets me that email says we will not pay you. It literally says it in the email response you get. The first response from F5 when submitting a bug is it says we will not pay you. And Kev will be able to tell us straight away what the rev what uh, F5's revenues are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, I can't. Remember. It was like ten billion. Like I can't remember what it was. Oh, I thought you. I thought you had it tattooed on your eyelids. <laughs> what, the, <laughs> what F5's revenues are. That. 
that was a previous run. But you know, I'm, for a company I'm trying to be better. For a company turning over billions of dollars, it is pretty disappointing that they can't pay you for finding a flaw in their software. Yeah, you got to I think it. I said it before, they'd lose all of their profit if they were to open a bug bounty program. <laughs> it comes down to security culture. I mean, if if you like it's this whole point of uh we take your security seriously, blah blah blah. You don't need to say that. Just do it. Show that you care. And that's what Zoom is doing. I mean, I'm going to rant again about F5, but they're, they're practicing security through obscurity. This 7.5 high CVE, it's not patched. They've just embargoed me from telling anybody about it in the hope that nobody knows it's there. But how does that work? Do you enter into an agreement with them then not to talk about it? Because my view is, and I know that our PR agency's view is, that if that... Um, a company continues to be unresponsive or continues to not do anything you kind of at that point have a right to go public and say look we've given them an opportunity to do something and they have made a decision not to uh, so i follow a 90 day disclosure um so there's there's so this is some like there's a lot of topic on it's like 30 60 90 day disclosure what it is so like f5 like to their credit they were responsive when i contacted them uh they there was a lot of email back and forth in validating it helping them identify exactly what it was and that kind of stuff uh that was fine like my two issues are one they don't pay for it which i kind of care but don't really care about uh the big thing i really care about is the fact this was disclosed in july and they're only going to patch it in october which where it's provisionally scheduled for release that's the thing that really irks me i do think it's worth um pointing out that kev is um you know an employee of immersive labs paid well to do his job he may debate that but that's the point <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the whilst kev can be kind of like the money doesn't matter it's because yeah. that's not your job like the, the yes. people on the hacker one bug bounty programs that's what they do and some of them are doing great and there's people with million dollar plus earnings uh, and some of them are like trying to you know feed their family that you know that they it's their income and and it, it's just irresponsible of companies with billion dollar revenues to not pay, to literally have it as a policy that we will not pay especially when the product's so absolutely riddled with security vulnerabilities it, it's like sean said it this is you should measure this on impact like cvss is a guideline on uh, like how bad that vulnerability is but uh, exploitability the impact of that that should ultimately determine how much you pay and that's the approach apple took uh, with their 100k payout i do think we should realize though that people are, you look at um f5 you look at the kind of patch it's cv it's cve after cve after cve like there is there are so many vulnerabilities in this thing that are getting patched all the time You've got to start to ask yourself, why do they still have billion-dollar revenues? Why are companies still buying these products that have got a proven track record of being having poor security posture? That's the real question. That's because... Um... Uh, that's because it's to do with how embedded it is. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, no one ever got fired for buying Checkpoint. It's it's kind of like that. It's because those big... those I mean, their product is literally called big something isn't it like big IP? Big IP. yeah i mean it's called that because it's kind of an unwieldy beast that once you've plugged in is incredibly difficult to replace so with something vendor lock in, more like wait yeah so so once they've got vendor lock in actually the quality of the the quality of the product begins to matter less and less because the reality is it's kind of stuck in that and we can't and we can't we can't move it or it's incredibly difficult to move it and i suppose then that 
goes back that sort of goes back to the same question doesn't it then how important is the security of that product to the customers who are buying it because ironically they're buying it to do a job to secure them whilst it in the same breath is full of security holes that's a mic drop (laughs) (laughs) okay At the end of last week, a story came out in the InfoSec industry press about a Russian citizen who was accused of flying to America in a bid to bribe a Nevada company employee to infect their boss's IT network with ransomware. Now, as it stands, that's quite an interesting story in itself, like flying all the way from Russia all the way to the US to try to convince someone to put ransomware on a network is pretty extreme but then we learned that that nevada company was in fact tesla and in fact well we thought it was tesla someone tweeted that maybe it looked like it could be tesla and then of all people elon musk himself suggested that tesla were targeted by a russian charged with trying to bribe one of their employees i mean i don't (laughs) I actually don't even know where to start. This is mass. This is massive. To be fair, he also said that pyramids were built by uh, aliens. <laughs> okay, but this was one of his. This was one of his better days on Twitter. Was so, it one of the? Was it one of the OG gang tweets? <laughs> oh, yeah. Are we sure it's Elon, the original gangster? So the guy who's been charged is a chap called. Bear with me, Igor. Oh, you, you're going to do this? Are you? Well done, Chris. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Chris pronouncing Russian. Igor Kriuchkov. In fact, his full name, Igor Igorovich Kriuchkov, um, has been charged with one count of conspiracy to intentionally cause damage to a protected computer. And who knew that was a charge that you could be charged with? Um, but he was uh, he was arrested by I think the FBI at Los Angeles uh, Airport. I'm assuming. Uh, attempting to leave the attempting to leave the country, but uh, I guess like there's so many there's quite a lot of questions that pour out of this. Um, the, the first is, could it really be easier to get on a plane from Russia with a bag full of cash to find an employee to bribe with trips to? Uh, it's got a lot of information here about where they took him and all this stuff, but with trips to like restaurants and strip clubs or whatever, um, than it would be to just try to find a vulnerability to exploit. I mean, if it's that Absolutely targeted. Absolutely, yes. Oh, okay. Absolutely, yes. That's far easier. I'm surprised they didn't just buy a load of USB keys and scatter them in the car park. <laughs> well, that's what happened with um, Stuxnet, wasn't it? USB keys in the car park. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this this story is brilliant because, like, the very first part of the story is how did wh- this is how did they target this the uh, didn't because we don't know the name of the employee that was targeted do we so this russian guy comes over on a plane had they got a relationship beforehand had they built up a relationship online is this a, a is this a honey trap oh do you think he's got a do you think the guy's got a russian bride or something and this is her this is her brother coming over to visit them and then he's saying and then he's saying oh by the way well, you know do you want well i mean it, uh, something like that or the but some some compromise situation absolutely like that so some reason why they have a relationship because because the indictment that we can read it just has amazing amounts of detail about then they use booking.com to rent a, a, a house in Nevada. like it doesn't the step one is missing for me there's something going on we know that the the t- employee they targeted like went straight to their bosses at tesla so um either it was bad targeting either, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, either it wasn't that story could have been Elon himself, or either it wasn't that strong a backman. I don't think Elon was going to do it for half a million dollars. 
Uh, either like any potential blackmail they thought they had wasn't that strong, um, or this guy's morals are just like super high, or he just got scared partway through. We we don't know. It's not revealed in the indictment. I think I read somewhere. It could be a different story, but I, I did read somewhere that person did get spooked and they had a change of mind and they did uh, then switch to the other side. And that's almost certainly what's happened because. Although he was initially, according to the the article, he was initially promised half a million dollars for for getting the malware onto the network. And then that bribe was later increased to a million dollars to persuade him and a $11,000 advance. So that was like free cash before he'd even done anything. Um, And I think it was at that point where he went to where he went to his bosses. What's interesting about that is if it went from 500 to a million, it was suggested he wasn't initially sure uh, initially short anyway um and so that's what kind of ended up blowing the whole thing wide open so are we speculating here that this the person was going to do it there were actually is that actually i think it reads like that so uh as you read through this there were several steps in the chain uh and they'd met several times mm. then they set up a bitcoin wallet in order to receive the money their burner and phones this wasn't with the fbi so I, when i first saw this headline i thought oh look the Russians tried to hack the company, but the the employees like not gonna do that. And then everything was done with the FBI in parallel. You're saying that a load of this stuff was done, and then they had a like a, a moment of morality and went to the FBI. Yeah, there was an initial meeting in Lake Tahoe on the first of August, and then between then, yeah, that it is an amazing place actually. I mean, I'm book, I'm sure Booking.com will tell you the nice place that they hired there. Um, they met there August the first. And then they had uh, the final meeting was August the 18th. And in between that time, the guy had got cold, uh, guy or girl had got cold feet and decided that, um, you know, that they, they, they weren't going to be a part of it anymore and went to there and told the security department. I just want to imagine what's happening here, right? So an employee of Tesla is like, just happily about their day. And then they get a WhatsApp message. Oh, look at this WhatsApp show. It's Igor Igorovich asking me if I'd like to put some mouth. That doesn't just happen. I don't even know how you even have that initial conversation. Orisental. Um, So you probably go on social media, find someone who's disgruntled in their um, job. That's probably your perfect target. Um, Someone who's, you can clearly see is upset with the company and, that's a win-win. So one, they can earn money, and two, they can bring down the the company that they despise. But they've got to have developed that relationship. Like it's yeah. the first contact isn't what's that's what's missing about this. So whether this person reached out, I wonder whether like now you've opened this door to me because I thought this person was like whiter than white, but now you've opened the door to the fact that they were like a blowing leaf wavering between <laughs> uh, good and bad. I wonder whether this person reached out to the Russians and said, "Hey, I work for Tesla. Would you like to bring Tesla down?" And then it could be the same way that Nigerian scams run. So, like, there's there's a whole piece of research that was done that suggests that the reason those opening emails, those Nigerian emails, are so poorly written, is because they immediately weed out those who are more susceptible to believe you. We definitely see and have seen cases where in dark web forums, threat actors are advertising for insiders in companies, admittedly, usually financial services, you know, where there's where there's cash operations. Um, but we have seen it where they are, where they were basically advertised to find an insider inside a company um, that they can use to, you know, 
cash out money, for example, and stuff like that. So it wouldn't be the if if it if it did work that way round, um, it certainly wouldn't be the the first time. Um, the the suggestion would be that you'd have to be fairly convinced that the person was on board before getting on a plane and flying over there, knowing the risks of being exposed. So that suggests that those conversations must have been fairly like some way down the road, fairly advanced, um, you know, before it got to the point where the, you know, where the person backed out. I think this whole thing is quite interesting when it comes to staff um, integrity and staff um, security uh, screening. So, of course, intelligence agencies have been doing this for years where they look at, um, do security checks on their employees, they check them for vulnerabilities, things that they could be exploited about, blackmailed over, skeletons in the closet, etc., etc. When you hold a security clearance at the highest possible classification, the fact that you have a, you know, a secret that you haven't disclosed to your company or to people that know you is a vulnerability that could be exploited for blackmail purposes and then put you in as a as an employee of that company or that organization in a compromising situation i think we've touched on this before with twitter um, as an example where twitter is such a major communication channel when we we sort of uh, speculate about whether it should be nationalized and brought under some sort of state control because it is so uh, important and it needs to be uh, looked after and uh, and an employee of twitter in the example when they were all you know, those random tweets were flying around uh, could do some serious damage which then asks the question and begs the question of twitter uh, staff how are they checked how are their security clearances checked are that do are there twitter employees that are vulnerable to you know some sort of blackmail attempt and i wonder um and of course government departments have been doing this for you know decades i wonder whether major private sector companies and i'm guessing perhaps they do but are going to have to start to do the same thing with their stuff do you not think given though the nature of those companies and the culture of those companies the risk is that they wouldn't get the kind of people who they would want to hire if you added that yeah. Exactly. layer into the hiring. Yeah, let's assume that we're talking, let's say, somebody at the very lowest tier of the Tesla hierarchy, a shop floor worker who's on a temporary contract or something, but still has access to a, a um, you know, a Windows machine that they could put a USB stick in. The cost of security clearing to some level of satisfaction, every single employee, even if they're only working a couple of hours a week, you know, some very small, like, it's going to increase the production cost quite significantly to a thing that's pretty low margin already also it's no guarantee because you could be a low-level it admin on a contract working for an organization like say i don't know the nsa or someone like that and you could be the kind of person that just doesn't think that what that organization is don't, doing is right don't push my <laughs> and this goes to um this goes to a point that we'll make you know all day long and that is that when it comes to security people are the really really difficult bit there's no um like there's no way they're not binary you know there's no way of knowing which way that person could have ended up going on august the 18th they might have made the decision to take that million dollars and do you know what what the russian guy was asking him to do um so yeah it's, there's, there's no you know there are no guarantees what i'm interested in also and we'll just quickly cover this off before we move on um Obviously, the idea was to install ransomware. It looks like also it was the, it was ransomware for the purposes of exfiltrating 
exfiltrating data. I, I don't know. It's a bit unclear from the article, but it, it suggested to me it was we've talked about this before, that kind of two step thing where they get some malware on. They steal some data and then they look to ransom them. It looks like there's a, a couple of stages to this. So one was it looks like they wanted, uh, we don't know what, how they were going to deliver it, whether it was USB or download, but they wanted malware installed on a device and it was to remain there for at least eight hours. During that eight hour period, uh, they were going to launch a DDoS attack against the company to try and distract them away from what was happening in the background whilst they stole a load of data. Once that data was gone, then the intent was to encrypt uh, and then hold to ransom. Uh, so it looks like that was the intent. That was the three stages they were going to go for. You know, this makes me wonder, like this is a massive amount of effort to get on a plane, fly to America, blah, 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 blah. All you could have done is tell them, like, I'm going to send you an email. It's going to have a Word document in it. When you open that Word document, click that massive yellow banner that says enable macro, <laughs> then go and have a cup of tea. We don't know if what they'd planned to deliver was going to work. Then, then I don't know Tesla's security setup, but I'd assume they've got uh, like the standard set of stuff in there that they might have detected this all along. So maybe the handle was there to provide some assurance that if things started to go wrong, then there was some kind of backup plan or there was some, uh, like dare I say it, some escape. I've got a fake passport for you, fly you to Russia, like all sorts of spy tricks going on there. Um, like we don't know. Maybe the the guy was nervous and it said like, I'll only do this if you come and meet me in person. I want the trade-off to be in person. Like there's there's a lot that we don't know about why he's there. But I mean, you're right. Like This could have been done like fully remotely. Do you think, Kev, that companies are going to have to start to exercise this sort of scenario that they've got? I mean, we've always had rogue actors or malicious internal actors operating perhaps from around, like on their own morals, like in, in, in that idiot Snowden's case, or... Um, or 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 maliciously because they feel aggrieved about something. I don't know that we've seen many examples. Like perhaps there are loads of examples that we don't get that don't get to the press. But do you think companies are going to have to start exercising these scenarios? Absolutely. Like the insider threat is one of the biggest threats, and I think Infosec uh, Europe they run that same questionnaire like every year, uh, and like, it's what's your biggest threat? Is it external stuff? Is it internal stuff? And I think it comes out pretty high every time that the insider threat. Uh, is something that is often overlooked. Is that inside a, um, in, inside a malicious threat versus inside a cock-up? Because I, I probably would rate inside a cock-up the highest uh, vulnerability <laughs> from a security perspective. Inside a well, cock-up has now been... A little bit like uh, public shaming has been renamed. Inside a cock-up <laughs> has, uh, has actually been renamed for quite a while now to the human factor. Oh, sorry. That's what that's called. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm not in marketing. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, you've 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 got to assume you don't like take the intent away from it whether it was deliberate or malicious uh, just assume that somebody inside your network is going to compromise you at some point um, then you should you definitely want to make sure you've got detections for that heuristics for that you're practicing that that your playbooks that your tabletops that your your, your simulations they've all got that kind of thing so it's something you're exercising don't just rely on hey it's going to be a network attack and my seam's going to find and my network analyst is going to look at the pcap that's not going to happen if somebody drops a, ru a rubber ducky in the car park or um or, or gives a guy a USB stick. Drops a rubber ducky in the car. Why are we going for a bath or something <laughs> is, that, is, that a pet, is that a red teaming term a, a rubber ducky uh, it's, so it's a tool. Uh, the USB rubber ducky. It's uh, built by Hack Five. Uh, 
rubberduck.duckdoorkit.com uh, site I run uh, allows you to make malicious payloads for it. Just a little bit of a plug there. Did you just uh, self plug? <laughs> <laughs> you see what he did? This is my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a uh, USB uh, attack. It, you, it's a small USB stick. Looks like a USB stick. You plug it in. It's actually a keyboard that can type malware at about Ooh. a thousand characters a second. Uh, they're very expensive, but they're very good uh, in red team engagements. Uh, yeah, duck, duck Duino's, um The uh, OMG cable is the same thing disguised as a uh, iPhone charging cable. You plug it into your iPhone and it infects your device and opens up a, a wireless connection. Like, There's so many of them out there. Okay. We're going to round up, as always, with my new favorite feature, which is <laughs> hackers good. Um, I'm going to start with uh, I'm going to start with this one. Excuse me, I'm going to clear my just we'll get ready. <clears throat> Russian hackers could be stealing U.S. voter information from the dark web. <laughs> According to the story, Russian hackers may be taking U.S. voter information from the dark web and turning it over to the U.S. Department of Justice. In exchange for payment, the DOJ is currently offering rewards for information leading to the prevention of U.S. election yeah, meddling. Yeah, it's weird because like, on the surface of it, this sounds absolutely insane. <laughs> uh, yeah, they've paid in excess of $250 million to more than 100 people who have provided information yeah. that put yeah. terrorists behind bars. Yeah. right. But we don't know. We don't know what any of this information is. Hang on. So there's, there's U.S. voter information on the dark web that the, the people who put it there are selling back to the U.S. Department of Justice to get paid for the data that they hacked out in the first place. Is that have I gone too many steps? It's just so there's, there's so much to unpack in this story. The headline actually is not even really accurate because basically what it's saying, Russian hackers. What it's basically saying is people who use the dark web could be stealing US voter information. But of course, like it's much better to say Russian hackers, isn't it? Because those could be, you know, Russian speaking, uh, Russian speaking dark websites, for example. Um, so yeah, I, my, I mean, no one's asked for my opinion, but in my opinion, the headline is a load of baloney. I think it's... Uh, absolute yeah. tripe. It's also what information, consider voter information is like social security number and that, and guess what? That's all over the internet. I think we should do it. We should do a new feature. My mum could. <laughs> you don't even have to go onto the dark web. Like you can find this stuff on normal internet. You don't need to go it's dark. It's in S3 buckets all over the place. Isn't <laughs> <it>? <laughs> or Pacebin. Okay, here's the here's the next one. <clears throat> Stolen Fortnite accounts earn hackers millions per year. Uh, before we get into this, I don't really understand what Fortnite is. Can somebody just explain what it is? Fortnite online first-person shooter. Um, like it's uh, multiplayer online, so you play with lots of other people. Um, but it has microtransactions. Uh, there are extremely rare and extremely expensive things that you can save up money for and buy. Uh, those things are transferable and tradable. So if you were to steal an account, you could uh, take that away from the account and then you could sell that on to somebody who wants to buy it. I think the thing that's missing from the uh, the headline is uh, stolen Fortnite accounts could earn hackers millions per year uh, rather than actively earn hackers millions per year. What I still can't get my head around is the amount of money that some of these skins go for. And I have a friend who PUBG is a similar type of game um, and they got a rare skirt thing on there for like, and that 
got it twice, and each time they got it 300, 400 pounds for each one. And that's just a cosmetic item. It doesn't make you any better. It doesn't do anything. Just a skirt. It's not a real world. So when you can, when you're talking about a skin, you know, averaging at, you know, two and a half thousand pounds, you know, per account, the hacking of, the hacking of that stuff actually becomes quite appealing, potentially more appealing than something ridiculous like cryptocurrency mining. The headline I'm just looking at here is that more than two billion breached. Fortnite account. Two billion. I really feel like a late adopter that there are two billion people in the world ahead of me that have know what Fortnite is and have an account. I don't, maybe I ought to sign up, but I can't now because it's banned from the App Store. How do people even play this game? Anyway, I don't think we're playing this one down too much because I feel like this kind of hacking, and we've alluded to this before, but I feel like this kind of hacking is actually the future. I feel like people's kind of online possessions are the the way that this kind of stuff is said and i suppose actually in some ways cryptocurrency mining kind of is that isn't it it's the using of computing power to make money and this is sort of similar to that in some ways and it's a gateway drug and we think it and we think it's a gateway to more widespread hacking if i was to go on to pastebin now and do a search i could probably find some valid credentials for somebody's uh, account so like for for young people, that's not gonna seem like such a a big thing. It's it's a little thing. It's just somebody's game account, isn't it? Like I'm not really causing much harm. I'm just having a bit of fun with them. Like I said, it's a complete gateway kind of hack. That's exactly where it starts. Okay, well, thanks all. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe, rate, and comment wherever you get your audio content. And if you want to know more about Immersive Labs, you can find us at immersivelabs.com. Or follow us on Twitter at Immersive Labs UK. Until next time, from all of us, goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.